Welcome back to Pod is a Woman, an honest, unfiltered conversation about the current state of politics and pop culture from three veterans of the Obama White House, who also happen to be friends. I'm Alejandra. I'm Darian. And I'm Johanna. And we want to wish you a happy holiday, however you're celebrating this holiday season. It's Christmas Eve, and we thank you for spending a little bit of your day with us. We're talking about a very personal topic today that's touched all of our lives in one way or another over the past year, and that's grief. Whether it's because you've lost a loved one or you're grieving some other type of loss, like a relationship or even a job, navigating these feelings can feel really isolating, which is even worse during COVID. So holding space for these kinds of difficult feelings is a gift we can all give ourselves. And to help us delve deeper into how exactly to do so, we have invited Marissa Renee Lee to join us today, who is a writer, speaker, and entrepreneur focused on grief and dealing with life-changing challenges. It's a very open, honest conversation conversation on grief that includes pregnancy loss. So we do want to flag that. Over to you, Darian. Today, we're fortunate to be joined by one of my dear friends, Marissa. Marissa and I met as young women early on in the Obama administration. She was tirelessly advocating for economic equality and opportunities for underserved communities at the Small Business Administration. She was also bravely navigating the world of grief after losing her mom, Lisa, to breast cancer. In honor of her mother, Marissa founded The Pink Agenda, a national organization of young professionals committed to raising money for breast cancer research and care in partnership with the Breast Cancer Research Foundation. Marissa would go on to be a senior advisor to the White House Domestic Policy Council and the managing director of President Obama's My Brother's Keeper initiative. Today, she is a writer focusing on allyship, race, opportunity, economic mobility, and grief. And one of the things that I want to ask you about first is how do you switch? How do you switch gears from being an economic and policy advisor to building your career around grief? <laughs> um, that is an excellent question. You know, I think, I think for me, everything that I've done in my career has somehow been connected to my grief. I started out in finance and that was because I felt like if I wanted to have a positive impact on the world, I needed to understand how money worked, how finance worked, how frankly wealthy people made decisions. And since I didn't grow up with money and I also wanted to be close to my mom who already had MS and breast cancer at the time, you know, jumping into banking made a lot of sense. It also happened to be during one of the worst recessions that we've ever experienced in our country. And so, you know, grief was a part of why I went into banking, you know, to be close to home, to be close to my mom. That then led to, you know, unfortunately, while I was in finance, my mom passed away, which put me on this path of thinking about you know, what do we do with our time? We don't know how much time we're going to have. When my mom first got sick, she was 37, which is how old I am today. By the time she passed away, she was only 49. You know, she had literally just turned 49. And so it put everything into perspective, which, you know, then led to my career in the Obama administration. If I was going to have to work for a living, you know, why not go big and reach for the stars and do something really great and interesting and learn a lot. But throughout it all, I continued to write about grief. You know, I continued to have the Pink Agenda project on the side. So I never really stepped away from that motivating force. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, definitely 
we lost a pregnancy in 2019 after struggling with infertility for several years. And the combination of, you know, trying to work through my miscarriage grief in the middle of this global moment where people were, you know, grieving for the America that they thought they lived in and, you know, come to find out it's not actually as perfect and just as those of us, um, many of us might hope. Um, and people, you know, dying, losing loved ones, losing businesses, losing jobs, losing, you know, their normal life in the middle of the pandemic, it just all kind of came together. You know, I, I don't feel mm -hmm. like I had this career in finance that was separate from my grief. I don't feel like I had a career in politics that was separate from my grief. I feel like they've always been connected to one another. And for me, it's just, it's very natural. Like this is just who I am. Um, and I continue to do the work around economic mobility and ending racism while mm -hmm. I'm writing this book about, you know, what it means to live with loss. Yeah. And thank you for sharing so much of your vulnerability in your work, because we all know what it's like to be motivated by something that was painful in our life and then try to work to instill that into policy and into nonprofits. And yes. and um, it's just really powerful. And I want to dive into an article that you just wrote for Vogue, and that was about grief. And you, you outlined four different buckets. So can we break them down with you to get into the specifics here? Because it was really, really helpful. The first thing you asked was decide what is sacred and safely make that happen. And in a year where everything that's sacred to us from like birthdays to graduations to the holidays and our traditions seem to be taken from us, you know, what does our version of making something sacred possible look like? What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that was actually inspired by a pre-Thanksgiving conversation that I had with my husband where I was you know, whining about the fact that I couldn't find a small turkey. You know, I've never made Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner for two people. I mean, I don't, I don't know anyone who does that. We're yeah. 15 to, you know, 25 people are at our house for every holiday. That's just, you know, that's how we roll. If you're going to cook for a holiday, you may as well cook for the entire neighborhood. Right. Well, you know, since it's just two of us, why don't we just make a chicken? And in that moment, I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, like I love you and I, and you're right. And I, I'm whining about something that is technically not at all important, but I realized that it was something that was important to me. Like Thanksgiving without a Turkey, like it's not Thanksgiving in, in my mind. And so I bought the larger Turkey and we ended up frying it, of course. Um, of course. And then just giving half to a friend who it turned out had recently had surgery. And, you know, she just sent me a quick, hi, how are you text as I was checking out, you know, purchasing this overpriced, organic, local, blah, 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 turkey from a small business. Yeah. And I said, do you have a turkey yet? If not, you're getting half of ours. And so that's, that's what we ended up doing. But, you know, it, it's about taking the time to think about, like, what is really going to make a holiday still feel like a holiday for you during these very difficult circumstances. Well, so much of our friendship and our relationship has been centered around food, whether I'm coming over to your place and you're making Auntie Annie's mac and cheese and we're doctoring it up, or 
in the way that you introduced a camembert grilled cheese to me. That's it's something that is a source of comfort. And one of the other things you talk about is identifying and holding space for your feelings and making sure that you're able to accept the feelings that are brought up because of these traditions. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, I think one of the things that I have realized during this time where, you know, we have been forced, all of us, to slow down because so many of our normal distractions have been taken away, Mm -hmm. you realize what you miss by moving so quickly through life. And when you don't take the time out to really just be still and think about, you know, what am I feeling how can I, how can I move through this? You know, how, how can I heal from whatever this thing is? You often will just bury it until it comes out in sometimes not so pleasant ways. And so for me, what I've learned both from, you know, losing my mom, losing a pregnancy and just this forced slowdown that we're all experiencing is that there is a lot to be gained from being forced to just sit still and be quiet and sort through and make space for your feelings. And sometimes I'm, I'm finding even just being able to name whatever it is, as opposed to, you know, oh, you know, I'm feeling kind of icky today. And then you run out and meet a friend for coffee or, you know, you go to the store or you go off to work and like, you don't deal with it under normal circumstances. Right. And I feel like having to deal with things you know, being able to name them and hold space for them when it's a feeling that doesn't feel super comfortable and happy and joyful is really important when it comes to moving through and dealing with your grief. So one thing that you mentioned under the holding space for your feelings is about developing rituals to check in with how you're feeling, which I really love that because I put these, these alerts on my phone. It literally says, observe your emotional weather twice a day. Um, I had read about doing that and I was like, okay, let me try to see if that helps. And it actually was really helped me to do that. What are some other things we can do to check in with ourselves throughout the day? I love that. Um, one of the things that I think is important to keep in mind and and why I like your system is you are allowed to have different feelings throughout the day. And I think we sometimes forget that. And one of the things you learn quickly when you're moving through grief is, you know, you might have a moment or a day or even a couple of days where you feel great. And then you might have another day where, you know, you're not feeling so hot and that's okay. Um, when it comes to, checking in. I think to your point, rituals are really important. For me, it's an every morning thing. You know, Mm -hmm. I make myself sit down every morning and just write, you know, this isn't writing for anyone. This isn't writing for my book. It's just getting stuff out of my head so that I can get a sense for where I'm at. I also have been trying. I'm not (laughs) the best at it, but I've been trying to make time for meditation. And I try again, not great at it, but I do have a calendar reminder that goes off every day at 6 p.m. that says meditate. And so sometimes if I haven't done it yet, I'll try and do it then. Um, but making it, making those kinds of rituals and those kinds of commitments as important as you know the meeting with your boss or the thing you do for your kids or for your spouse is really important. 
No, and I, I have to say, I, I read the article in which you talk about being a type A person, and I could so relate. Um, Marissa, I have to I have to just send my sincere apologies about the loss of your pregnancy. I know how terrible it can be. And it's just, I don't know if you know, but before we had my son during the administration, I was pregnant and I was about gosh, nine or 10 weeks along, and I told a supervisor and another supervisor really wanted to share in the great news. And I was a little nervous about it because I wasn't at the 12 week mark, which you know, but one of the women was like, you know, Johanna, does anyone have really great news that everyone wants to hear? And so I shared it. And subsequently we, we went in for, it was our post 12 week checkup because I was traveling all the time. And so I was gone for the 12 week checkup and I saw this, the gestation. And they said at that moment, they were like, Oh, I looked at it and it was like 11 some weeks and it should have been 12 plus weeks. And so I was like, well, that's not right. And the sonographer said, what's worse is there's not a heartbeat. And that is how I found out that I had had a miscarriage and had to go in for the DNC. And you know that it's awful. And by that point, President Obama knew that I was expecting. It was like celebrated news. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. It was so hard in that moment, Marissa. But after that happened, I think because it was so public, I realized what a common occurrence it is because every time a woman had a miscarriage, she would end up in my office, on my couch, talking about this disappointment. And you grieve over something you've never known, right? And I know that, you know, you you talk a lot about burying it there. And oh my God, did I bury it. I was like, well, someone else just tell everyone. I'm going to, I think it was Portland. I was like, I'm going to go. I don't care that I just had a DNC. I literally, the doctor was like, you're crazy. (laughs) And I was like, I'm getting on a plane. And the Secret Service agents are like, Johanna, we're so excited about your pregnancy. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, no. It was, oh my God. it was awful, but you, you know, you're number three, you talk about focusing on someone else. And I was curious about that because to me, actually part of what helps me get a, through is realizing that so many people have had it so much worse and what can I do to help? And so I'm curious, what does focus on someone else mean? And, you know, how do you do that? Yeah. So first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, I know that had to have been terrible. You know, it was hard enough to tell people when, in my case, only a few people knew, you know, where we were at that point in our fertility process. Um, And then ultimately, obviously, I made it very public, but I was able to do that on my terms, on my timeline. You know, I can't imagine having it happen and immediately having to go into notification mode. So Um, I am sorry to hear that. You know, I think there is, there is a fine line between making sure you're doing whatever you need to do for yourself to heal and this idea of focusing on someone else. You know, for me, after my mom died, I needed to put my energy into things 
that were going to make me feel better. And like helping people has always made me feel better. And it, it's, it didn't take away my grief. You know, I wasn't suddenly like just fine sunshine and daisies or whatever. No, I was a depressed and anxious and grieving 25 year old. But knowing that I was throwing all of this time and energy behind the pink agenda did give me some comfort. You know, it was sort of like, okay, if I have to get out of bed today, I may as well make it worthwhile because I don't want to get up. Um, And, you know, after the pregnancy loss, I continued to do some stuff for work because my work is mostly in racial equity and criminal justice reform and, you know, these things that, that do help people and make the world better. And so, you know, even if I was just making tiny contributions, it did make me feel better. I think where we have to be careful are two places. One, even though, you know, right now I'll just speak for all of us, we are okay, big picture, in terms of this pandemic. That doesn't mean that you're not allowed to have a day that is shitty and miserable and really hard just because you know we know there are people out there who are not having enough food to eat like that doesn't mean that you can't have a bad day you know the way Mm -hmm. i look at it is while there's no limit on joy there is also no limit on human suffering unfortunately so so i want to make sure that people make that distinction because i think it's i think it's a really important one because i don't want people to beat themselves up because of what they have even if they're having a hard time And then the other thing that I'll say is, you know, I think it's important, especially in the midst of this holiday season, when there are millions of Americans who don't have enough to eat and, you know, so many people who are mourning lost loved ones, that we figure out how to help them, but that we also do whatever we need to do to be okay ourselves. One of the things that recently you have talked a lot about, and as we're seeing Americans across the country in the middle of this pandemic have to face the loss of loved ones, you lost your cousin, Ebony. And I just want to save space and provide space for you to talk about her and what that means for your family in this holiday season. Yeah, I mean, it is it is awful. Uh, I don't know. I don't know that I've shared this much publicly, but and this is where it just gets really hard for me. My aunt, who is Ebony's mother, this is actually the third child that she's lost. Oh my goodness. She lost, uh, I think he was 11 when he passed away to cancer. And then she lost a child to gun violence when I was at my brother's keeper. And so this month is really, really hard for her because mm-hmm. you know Ebony would have turned 36, like a week and a half ago. Um, one of her other children would have just turned 24 and then two of her children, like the anniversary of their death comes literally right after Christmas and her birthday is like December 26th or something like that. So it is just, wow. it is just an insanely, insanely hard time. Um, and it's just really sad. You know, I know what it feels like to lose a parent. I can't imagine losing a parent. You know, the one kid will turn two in January. Mm-hmm. Uh, my cousin's other son is 12, I think. 
And then she has like a 15 or 16 year old. So like, I know what it felt like at 25. I can't even imagine for these kids. And, you know, I think about her youngest, I'm like, I don't think she's going to actually remember her mother, which is just heartbreaking. Um, So yeah, I mean, it, it puts a lot of things in perspective, but my aunt is also one of these people who is like, it's okay for other people to not be okay too. You know, like she, she doesn't act like because of all of this suffering that she has experienced that, you know, no one else can come to her with complaints. Instead, she's of course, you know, stepping up and helping care for her grandchildren and, you know, trying to figure out for the first time, honestly, how to navigate all of her grief. Um, So I've been trying to help her figure out things like counseling and what that might look like. But yeah, it's, it's terrible. We like still forget that it happens sometimes. People tell you when you experience this kind of unimaginable grief, how important it is to let yourself feel and to process it, you know, instead of shutting it down or pushing it down. Like, how is it that we can, how do we process something that's so unimaginable? What does that look like? Yeah, I think, I think it looks a little different for everybody. Um, you know, the way I responded was different from the way, you know, my other cousin who lives locally responded. Um, I think, I think the most important thing, if you are, if you are in a place of early grief is to remember that you are accountable to essentially no one right now. Mm. You know, like, don't let anyone tell you how to do it or what it should look like or how long it should take, you know, figure out how you can connect to what you're feeling. And then also figure out what are some of the things that will help you move through it. You know, I created a list early on in the pandemic of like my resilience items. And it's like Peloton, meditate, take a nap, you know, walk the dog, like mm-hmm. whatever your things are, <laughs> yeah, figure them out. You know, like, and start to access them because they will help. But the most important thing that I have learned about grief at this point, you know, almost 13 years out is it is not just connected to the time around someone's death. Like grief is the repeated experience of learning how to live in the midst of a significant loss. Like it is recreating traditions that I had previously recreated after losing my mom this year because we're living in a pandemic, you know, like it doesn't, it doesn't stop. And so I think if someone is new to this experience of grief, just know that like, yes, you will arrive at a place where it is less debilitating. It is less disorienting. It is less painful, but there will always be some pain and there will always be moments where, you know, all you want is your person. Mm-hmm. Well, I saw another thing, and I know this morning I just happened to walk into my kitchen at the same time my son was on a Zoom. And I mean, so many of us across the U.S. this year has been just a loss of life and so, so much. But they have this little uh, school assembly on the last Friday of every month, and one of the little girls had passed away at our school. And I didn't realize that the principal was going to do this, but he did actually a 
beautiful tribute to the little girl with video footage of her receiving some of our awards. And I mean, I had walked in just to to grab some food and I saw that my son is sitting there and I was like, oh my God. So I sat next to him and I'm like crying and I see all the kids, like some of them with their prayer hands and some oh of them, God. you know, with little like looking at this and um, they planted a tree and named a tree in her oh. honor. And it was so sweet. And I think meaningful. I know the family was involved at every step of the way. You talk about creating new traditions. And I think this is the year that we've got to throw everything out and try to figure out how to do this better. Can you tell me a little bit more about creating new traditions and how we can come together and mourn this loss and really build upon it? Yeah. I mean, for me, figuring out how my mom can show up in places when, you know, she's been dead for almost 13 years is something that I've had to really work on over time, you know, especially in the context of my marriage. Like, you know, my husband has never met my mom. He just gets stuck with my crazy dad. Uh, and so <laughs> the best. I, I also, my, my husband's uh, mother died of brain cancer. And so I just have the crazy father-in-law. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. It's a thing. I mean, I love my dad. He's a wonderful person. Don't get me wrong. He'll probably listen to this, but like, <laughs> just he's a lot. And so, you know, myself, my cousin, aunts, even, you know, my dad's mom, like we all try and explain to Matt, like who my mom was. But what I decided is, you know, the best way to do that is to actually show it. My mom, uh, Sundays after church, I would say every like second or third Sunday, she would make a roast chicken. She made it in these like bags that they had. I don't know if anybody else is going to remember this, <laughs> but in the like, I guess late eighties, early nineties, they had these bags that you would roast a chicken in to try and get the skin crispier. I'm like, what sort of chemicals? Were <laughs> it's <those> bad. <laughs> it sounds. They were called. They were called oven roaster bags. And now looking back, I'm like absolutely horrified. But it was good. Um, and so I now make different versions of roast chicken. You know, on Sundays, like probably once a month or so. My mom was a big celebrator of Christmas. Like the holidays were her jam. She went all out, tree decorated the day after Thanksgiving, you know, six different kinds of cookies, gingerbread houses, the, the whole thing. It was completely over the top. I have taken aspects of that and tried to recreate it. You know, in a normal year, we would have a holiday party with tacos. We loved tacos in our family growing up. And As you should. And do, right, and donate, you know, non-perishable items to a local food pantry. We can't have a party this year. So this year, you know, Matt and I, we still have our silly outfits that we would have normally worn for the party because why not? Um, and we're making a financial contribution to the food bank because we needed to do something. You know, figure out how you can make this holiday matter to you in ways that you know, aren't going to wear you out further or stress you out. But, you know, think about creating something that your kid can, or even your grandkid can look back on and talk about 
you know, years and years from now is their favorite thing. And you'll be able to tell them like, oh, that's the thing that we did because it was a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't have to be big, but, you know, find something that feels right for you. And just do it. See, I remember in your article, you were talking about how your mom put out that china and that every like a month before Christmas and every night before dinner, you'd have to move the special china to sit and have your normal dinner and then move it back. But I'm sure right now it's it's just such a great memory. Oh, yeah. And and so though it's it's funny, because especially for children and those that have children right now, how much of a role that can play during the holiday to again you don't know what kind of dividends it's going to be in like 20 years. They're going to look back at that and it's going to be one of their warmest memories of the time. Exactly. Exactly. Like I gifted a bunch of gingerbread house kits to other people's kids because that was one of our things. Um, You know, and I still have on our Christmas tree, one of those ornaments that we made with, I think it was with like pipe cleaner and you would like put the beads on the pipe cleaner to you know, a candy cane or a little wreath or whatever. Yeah. Like that's, that stupid thing that probably costs like, you know, 10 cents or whatever is sitting on our Christmas tree now. So, you know, think about those little things that you can do now that will really matter in 20, 30, 40 years. And you're so right. And Marissa, I think about there are, you know, 300,000 Americans that, that have families that for the first time this year will be dealing with not having their family member at the holidays. And it's such a unique time to be in. And we're talking about traditions and finding things that still tie that family together. How, are, how do you recommend these people find joy right now? So... I, I think it's important for people who are grieving to not feel pressure to find joy, you know, just because That's everyone right. else is singing Christmas songs and watching Love Actually or whatever. If you're not there, like give yourself permission to take a year off. You know, I, I don't remember Christmas of 2008, you know, right after my mom died. Like I have no no recollection, like where I was, what I did, I can guess, but like, I don't actually know. Um, so if you are in that place, like feel free to just check out, frankly. Um, I think it is important though, even if you're in that space of checking out, that you find a way to do a little something to care for yourself. If joy is a little bit out of reach for you right now, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's, indulging in a really nice blanket, you know, for Netflix and chill time, or, you know, buying some fancier hot chocolate, or, you know, getting a cocktail delivered with your meal, like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a big grand thing, right? But just a little something that, you know, will bring you some comfort, might bring a smile to your face, or make you think of, the person that you lost in a way that isn't totally devastating is what I would recommend. You know, I just really do remember that the when people come to you, you know, and open up, the feeling in which another person has the ability to help another is actually like, I think, equally important. And when you're talking about all of these things, I keep thinking about, I mean, our time on this earth is short, right? And all we have is our communities. And when I was reading what you've done and everything that you've created, I thought what you've built with Supportal 
is really that couch. Like it's a virtual couch (laughs) and how perfect during the pandemic to really create that community for people who are grieving. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you've done with Supportal and the efforts to bring people together? Yeah. So one of the things that I've reflected on over the years is honestly how fortunate I was after my mom died. You know, even though my friends were all 24, 25 years old, they found so many ways to show up for me. You know, everything from uh, planning my birthday parties to picking up my dry cleaning um, to helping me find a new wardrobe when I lost, you know, 30 pounds between the last months of my mom's life, you know, all all of these little things. And uh, the Supportal co-founder, my dear friend, Jackie, she's a two-time leukemia survivor. And her experience with leukemia was similar in some ways, different with others in terms of the support that she received. You know, she was in high school when she got really sick and honestly almost died. And so we've always had these conversations about, you know, how do people show up and how important it is for people to show up when these really horrible, horrible things happen in life. And we have become the people because of the things that we've been through that somebody else will text and be like, hey, you know, like my friend, my coworker, my cousin, my whatever, this thing happened to them. What should I do? How can I help? What can I buy them? And we were thinking, you know, could that actually be a thing? Like, should we build a platform to share people's stories of, you know, the worst thing that happened to them and how somebody showed up and we decided to do it. And so, uh, you know, we both are super busy with lots of projects, but that was one that, you know, honestly was not that hard to put together because we had so many people in our, you know, individual communities who had stories to share of wonderful things that people did for them. And our whole thing that we say, you know, over and over again, everybody's always like, I was afraid. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. You know, like, how do I make sure I don't mess up? And we always say the worst thing you can do is nothing. Like, are there Mm -hmm. people who probably said weird or insensitive things to me after my mom died or like, bought us weird stuff. Sure. Probably. But I don't remember that. I do remember the people who didn't reach out, who didn't show up, Mm -hmm. who, you know, weren't at the funeral, who didn't send anything, who I had expected to. Um, That's what you're always going to remember. It's interesting hearing you talk about Supportal. I remember feeling similarly when I went through my breast cancer journey and, and launched an initiative myself during that time for women of color. And what really struck me and strikes me about what you're talking about is people don't realize how alone everyone feels until you're connected in this way and everyone feels more supported and everyone has more information. And especially for communities of color, that seems like it really hits on a disparity that isn't addressed in other ways. Was that your experience? Yes. Uh, I mean, definitely with communities of color. The, the outreach that I get from black women in particular who have either experienced a pregnancy loss or you know have lost a parent or in some cases both parents i mean it is honestly overwhelming um especially from younger women you know like teenagers sending me messages on instagram and you know finding my email address on my website it is honestly heartbreaking 
Um, but it has also been a reminder of, you know, why it's so important to think about the voices that we're elevating in all of the work that we do and why it's important mm -hmm. to do this work. You know, there aren't a lot of people who talk about grief and pregnancy loss and all of these other, you know, depressing topics on a regular basis who look like me. Um, so mm -hmm. for now, I'll keep talking about them as long as I think I have something interesting to say. Well, you know, so much of your work has been rooted in social justice, and I want to make sure that we close on the fact that you're also writing and advocating and talking about social justice and allyship. And as we go into next year with the vaccine, with the new administration, there's so much hope around healing and coming back together. But where do we start? I think you cannot have healing or like true reconciliation without clear acknowledgement of the wrongs that people of color, Black people in particular, have experienced in this country. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it would be, I think it would be really unfortunate if we try to rush to you know, this place of kumbaya, we're all on the same team, it was a bad year, let's just return to life as normal, without there being like real acknowledgement of what has happened in this country over the course of the last mm -hmm. 400 years, um, and what that has meant for Black people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think there needs to be some sort of like very serious, thoughtful, and I'm talking like policy by the administration type effort around coming to terms with systemic racism and mm -hmm. what that has meant for communities of color before you can get to a place of reconciliation. You're so right. Well, Marissa, this has just been a really thoughtful and incredible conversation. So thank you so much for joining us and for being with us today. Thank you. This is great. Thank you so much and happy holidays. I'm so grateful to Marissa for coming on and really sharing so many private parts of her life and her grief with us for the purpose of, you know, helping us all get through this moments better together. I want to highlight what the four different steps were that we talked about in the interview. They were decide what is sacred and safely make it happen, identify and hold space for your feelings, focus on someone else, and create new traditions. You know, I, I just have to say, Alejandra, when I was preparing for this interview, I realized that I hadn't hugged my mom in a year, and this has been a really tough year for my parents, and so many of our parents are no longer there to hug. I just... I'm so glad that we got this opportunity to talk about this moment of grief in 2020. And I hope all of our listeners make a plan because I know I am going to make a plan for 2021 needs to be better. And I think we all hold out hope that with Ben coming out of this holiday season that we never have to experience loss and separation and pain in the way that we are. But also become more grateful for the little things that we do have. I hear you guys. You know, it, it's when you have these really 
down isolating moments, it is very centering about what are the most important things in life and and also who it is you want to be, you know, and how you want to show up for the people in your life that you do still have around. And so let's look forward to 2021 and and be the best we can be. And hug hug your loved ones who are there a little tighter this year. So true. Well, let's jump over to our POTUS of the week. I'm really excited about this one, guys. We have New Mexico Congresswoman Deb Holland, who has been named our next Secretary of the Interior. She is the first Native American Cabinet Secretary, as well as first Native American Secretary of the Interior. And I want to highlight something that she tweeted out right after her nomination had been announced. And she said, I'll be fierce for all of us, our planet and our protected land. And to hear those words from the Secretary of the Interior is so powerful, and she is going to be such a force to be reckoned with. And I know that people are applauding this nomination across the board. And I have to give our shout out to Sharon McGuire, who is behind the new Disney Plus movie, Godmothered. My son found it and he said, oh, mom, we should watch this. And I have to say, I wasn't sure what to expect. And it is adorable. It deals with all of the grief and kind of finding new traditions, which was what today's episode was all about. And whatever tradition you guys are observing tonight, whether that is doing a Zoom Christmas dinner, whether that's doing what Marissa said and just letting yourself have Netflix and a weighted blanket at home alone, we wish you such a beautiful day and happy holidays. And again, thank you for being with us on this journey. We'll see you next week.